so many conversations don't go anywhere or worse, they create a negative situation. Sometimes the entire team is stuck because of interpersonal issues. So how can you create teams that are fast, innovative, and interdependent? In this episode, you'll learn how to do just that because I'm going to share with you five conversation killers that you'll want to stay away from and the Sister Smart Framework that's the key to building teams with true collaboration and co-creation. I'm Jill Avey, a career success coach, and this is Sister Smart Leadership, the show that explores how women can rise from director to vice president and beyond by fully leaning into their feminine energy as their biggest advantage. Let's get you one step closer to the recognition and promotion you deserve. In my corporate career, communication was my specialty. I led company-wide cross-functional teams that were very complex. We would have people from every department on the team, and we had to move everything forward with all those different viewpoints. So think about it. We would have somebody from design who was worried about the user interface, and there would be the sales team who was focused on gaining customers, and then there was customer service who needed to keep them happy for the long run engineering, who was designing the next great products, operations, who had to deliver the goods, and R&D, who was looking far into the future. And then we had legal, who had to keep us in compliance about everything. And then finance, who was watching our budgets. Every one of these people had a different lens on that they were looking through. And what that meant was that everybody had different priorities and they had different issues that they wanted to cover. So we all had to come together and move this project from one place to a new initiative that included presenting to senior leadership what our results were. So we had to get an out, a good outcome. And the problem is, is that I didn't manage any of them. These were all my peers or leaders senior to me on these projects. And this work was always on top of their already busy schedules. So with no power over anyone, it made all those meetings more complex. And I had to use all of my skill set and communication to do that. So thankfully, I was a master communicator and I was chosen to lead these really amazing teams. I've been a student of communication for 30 years, so I can relate to my clients when they talk about their struggles, and perhaps you can relate to them too. Maybe you need effective communication skills when interpersonal relationships are getting in the way of getting that work done. Maybe you're struggling to help your team understand other team members' frame of reference so they can find the most effective way to work together. Maybe people on your teams are really challenged with having open and honest conversations about conflict. If you've ever struggled to get your team to stop talking something to death when decisions need to be made because you're in that vicious cycle where you want to drive your projects forward, but you're stuck because the work doesn't seem to be getting done. Maybe you need to attract and retain younger team members who want to be part of the process, not just told what to do. And if you've ever struggled to have difficult conversations like getting C-level management to understand what your capacity really looks like, Maybe you want new opportunities to get folks to see you in a new light, to take a bet on your potential, not just your proven track record. These are some of the struggles that get solved through conversations. So let's jump in to see how we can hold our conversations back. And I will give you the secrets to great conversations that can solve all these problems and more. So first, let's talk about the five conversation killers. Conversation killer number one, this is when we make other people feel threatened. And most likely, you don't even know you're doing it. Most of us are not trying to make people feel threatened, but there are things that we can do that will trigger somebody's threat response, which which you've probably heard of as the fight or flight response. So this can happen in subtle ways in meetings. When it's happening to you, you might feel the fight response that can come out as arguing or getting louder or maybe digging in your heels some more. The flight mode comes out as impatience or a sense of urgency 
for the meeting to be over now. It could even feel like literally wanting to leave the room. And then there's a freeze response when your mind goes blank. So a senior leader asks you a question and you feel put on the spot and you can't think of anything, even though this is your area of expertise. Appease is the next response. That's more of a withdrawal from the conversation. And it often comes with crossed arms and a little leaning back, like, sure, whatever you want, just tell me how you want it. Finally, there's a tend and befriend response that's more of a peacemaking effort under stress. So these responses are really obvious when you're out for a hike and you see a big bear in the woods and you want to run. But they're a lot more subtle when we're in an office place. So how do we cause these responses? Here are a couple ways that we can do this. One is by excluding people. This happens when we're not careful to bring everybody into the conversation by making sure that those who need to be in the meeting are in the meeting. And another way that we can trigger a threat response is by criticizing or shutting people down. This can happen inadvertently when we want to move the meeting on. Maybe you've been on a topic for too long and you need to move on, but you need to be careful about how you do that. Instead, we can work on including and appreciating. It helps people open up when you can focus on finding the things that you can appreciate about what they've said before you move the conversation on. Part of building trust is helping people feel safe and not having that fight or flight response be triggered. Conversation killer number two is falling into the tell-sell-yell trap. It starts when you're trying to convince or influence, and then maybe you don't feel like what you've said was really heard or that it landed right, or maybe you think that people weren't paying attention to you. So you might sell it a little more, and maybe you get a little stronger about what you say or a little more forcefully, and you know, maybe you say it with more conviction. And then you might feel like you still weren't heard, and then you might ratchet it up again to a little bit more of a yelling about it. I think most everyone can relate to this. You get more and more passionate about something, or maybe you're getting frustrated or angry about it even. What we need to do here is instead of ratcheting up these messages and hoping of persuading someone, we need to stop and go back to the drawing board and think about what else we can do. So when your message isn't landing, you can ask yourself, where can I stop here and build trust? How can I build connections with the audience, with the team members in this meeting? And how can we co-create the solution instead so that I can get buy-in here? Maybe it's really not about whether your opinion or your idea is good. Maybe what needs to happen is that group needs to come together and come up with the one thing that's right for this team on this day versus the thing that you thought through so carefully and that you think is the right thing to do. When the team comes up with a different solution or even the same solution, the fact that the group came up with it rather than you telling it and selling them on it will create a lot of buy-in. And having that buy-in can create a lot more speed down the road. Our third communication killer is when listeners are not feeling heard. What happens when people don't feel heard is that it can seem like you don't care about what they think or that you don't value them as a team member, or that you think you know everything already. And that's a really bad one, because what happens is when you're in groups with senior leaders, they might think that you're not a good team player, or that you don't work well with others, or that you're not good leadership material. And why this can be devastating to your career is because when people don't think you're listening to them, they stop speaking up. And when people stop speaking up, they will watch you making missteps, and they won't say anything to help you. And if they get resentful enough, They'll actually celebrate you when you fall, or they'll contribute to your fall. So these are all things that we really want to stay away from, of course. But most importantly, and probably most often, what happens is the people around you have great ideas and they won't say anything, or they'll see a problem and they won't say anything. 
And so these are things that we really want to avoid because we don't know what's missing. We don't know when somebody has not spoken up when they could have. And that leads us to communication killer number four, which is not understanding trust. So trust is how we're going to get around some of these things that we've been talking about. Unskilled managers waste time on trust degrading things like using fear as a motivator, holding information as security, saying yes to everything because they feel obligated, jumping to conclusions without talking to the other party, looking for someone to blame or hold accountable for their mistake, figuring out how to outwit their opponents in other departments, continually using worst case scenario thinking to keep themselves safe. And they also keep up on all the gossip to stay informed. Instead, professionals focus on one thing only, and that's building trust. That's it. Building trust is that important. And we can use Angela Arendt as an example. So Judith Glazer, the creator of conversational intelligence, worked with her for a long time, mostly at Burberry. And Angela Arendt made trust her number one focus as a leader. And it worked amazingly well for her. She was a CEO of Burberry for six years in that time of massive company growth. She was the highest paid CEO in all of the UK. And then she went on to Apple where she was a senior VP of retail of online stores. And she was the highest paid leader at Apple making more than Tim Cook. So that's pretty amazing for somebody who's focused on solely on building trust. And I think her success really shows that this works. And that leads us to our communication killer number five, which is not rebuilding trust when it's been broken. You need to repair trust for people to feel psychologically safe. This often doesn't happen in the workplace. And it's worth doing because there are a lot of benefits for people to feel safe in their jobs. They become more resilient and they can take failures and bounce back more easily. They will speak freely when they see potential or problems. They will open up their creativity and they will have better problem solving. They'll have stronger interpersonal connections and their confidence will be higher. They'll feel empowered to make a difference, which is a key indicator of job satisfaction. And when we create interdependent teams that really work, team members can work through their own problems and they don't shy away from those difficult conversations by letting things go and simmer. They actually welcome healthy conflict and talk about the hard stuff and they feel invested in the success of their team. So what is the secret to avoiding all of these five conversation killers? In the Sister Smart Leadership Program, we use a framework with these three key results that create drastically better performance for you and your team. So result number one is upregulating oxytocin in your conversations. So there's a hormone you may have heard of called cortisol. And when that fight or flight mode that we talked about earlier is triggered, cortisol gets released in your body. That prepares us to fight, flee, freeze or appease or tend and befriend. And it's preparing us for action. And so what that does is it moves blood and energy to the muscles and our heart will start pumping harder and we'll start breathing faster. And then it also shuts it down everything that's not needed. So like our digestive system and more importantly, it shuts down our prefrontal cortex. And so that's that part of the brain right here behind our forehead. And this is where all of our higher functioning happens. So when we're in fight or flight mode, it shuts down that part because we don't need it. We don't need to take time to stop and make decisions and bond with other people and have empathy. This is a mode where we need to just be reacting and acting. So think about that for a moment. Hypervigilant about protecting yourself and you don't want to bond or share and you're not using the best part of your brain, the part where all your creativity and good problem solving comes from. We are instead working more from the primitive part of our brain that's just about taking actions. Does that sound like people that you want to have in your meetings? No, right? 
And it doesn't sound like the person you want to be in your meetings either, does it? So what we need to do is we need to promote a situation where we have oxytocin flowing instead. So this is the counterpart to cortisol. And it's another hormone that's associated with nurturing and bonding. And so this is a hormone that you can feel. And it's that warm, fuzzy feeling that you would experience when you give yourself a hug. It's like relaxing. So if you're not driving, give yourself a hug right now. And you can feel yourself warm up and become a little softer. And that oxytocin is opening people up. It's reducing anxiety. It's helping us feel more social competence and connection. And what this does is it allows us to use that most powerful part of our brain. Oxytocin is going to help us use this amazing part of our brain, the prefrontal cortex. And what we need to do is really promote this environment where oxytocin can flow. In the Sister Smart program, we have exercises that'll help you to create this environment in any situation. So whether it's a one-on-one meeting or a complex cross-functional team with senior leadership, you can learn how to keep yourself out of fight or flight mode and identify when others are feeling that as well and what to do about it. So our result number two is to have what's called level three conversations. So level three conversations are focused on discovering what we don't know. And we call these co-creating conversations. We also call them we-centric conversations. It's not an I-centric conversation. It's about the group. It's about listening to connect with other people and hearing what they need, what their viewpoints are, where they're coming from. And it's a high trust environment. It's a place where healthy conflict can occur. It's a place where oxytocin is flowing. Level three conversations are amazing for engagement and getting projects to run more smoothly. The more we can bring our conversations into a level three place and the better the information that we're going to get from our teams and from ourselves as well. So you might be thinking that this sounds great for meetings that you run, but that you don't have control over a portion of the meetings that you attend. Well, there are some meetings that you have no control over and we have to accept that. There's also a lot that you can do to encourage level three conversations in any discussion. It all starts with the kinds of questions that you ask. In our program, we call it asking questions for which you have no answers. And these are the questions that open up a conversation and get people thinking about that bigger picture and what shared success would look like. Result number three is creating psychological safety. So that is the number one thing that makes teams perform better and it makes meetings go better because we can do our best work when we're feeling psychologically safe. So what is psychological safety? This is where people can feel that they can speak up and offer their ideas, ask questions without the fear of being punished or embarrassed because nobody comes to work wanting to look ignorant or stupid. <laughs> like, and yet so often our environments create this feeling. So this is a topic I get really excited about because it can have so much impact on team performance and it makes a huge difference in the culture of your team. In fact, episode 23 is going to be devoted entirely to this subject, so I don't want to go too much into it here. Instead, I'm going to encourage you to keep tuning in so that you can learn all about the magic of psychological safety. So think about how much conversation affects our work lives for a moment. I mean, it touches everything we do. I like to end every episode with these three shifts that you can make today to improve your conversations. So first, watch for the conversation killers in your next conversation. As a reminder, they were making people feel threatened, falling into the tell-sell-yell trap, not making your listeners feel heard, not understanding trust, and not rebuilding trust when it's been broken. And the second shift that you can make today is to notice when you feel safe in a conversation versus when you don't. 
notice in your body the difference between the two. And the third shift that you can make is to notice when you're triggered into fight or flight mode in a conversation. So notice how that feels in your body and also notice which modality you go to most often. Do you go to appease or fight or tend to befriend? Which one do you go to? So let me know which shift you'll start with. If you're watching this on YouTube, leave us a comment and let us know which one you're going to try first. As I mentioned, we learn conversational intelligence in the fourth module of our Sister Smart Leadership program. And if you'd like to hear more about the Sisters in Leadership process and how it might work for you, you can download my private podcast on the seven-step passport to promotion at the sistersmart.com website. The link is in the show notes here. And if you want to dive deeper into women's leadership and how to move up in your career, subscribe either on YouTube or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. I'm on a mission to help more women get into leadership and stay there. And if that's aligned with you, I'd love to have you be part of this community and tune into more episodes on Sister Smart Leadership that will support you in becoming the leader that you want to be. If you're ready to fully lean into your feminine leadership and get promoted from director to vice president and beyond, hit that subscribe button so you'll get all the episodes to come. And check out the recommended video here to see how women are rising up without playing by the old rules that built these male-dominated industries and systems. So many conversations don't go anywhere, or worse, they create a negative situation. Sometimes the entire team is stuck because of interpersonal issues. So how can you create teams that are fast, innovative, and interdependent? In this episode, you'll learn how to do just that because I'm going to share with you five conversation killers that you'll want to stay away from and the Sister Smart framework that's the key to building teams with true collaboration and co-creation, not just handoffs that are thrown over the wall. Instead, we can create collaborations where people open up with their ideas and concerns and they're motivated to reach their goals. In my corporate career, communication was my specialty. I led company-wide cross-functional teams that were very complex. They would have people from every department on the team, and we had to move everything forward with all those different viewpoints. So think about it. We would have someone from design who was worried about the user interface, and then there would be sales whose focus was on gaining the customers. Then there was customer service who needed to keep the customer happy for the long run and engineering who was designing all the next products, operations who had to deliver the goods, R&D who was looking far into the future, legal who had to keep us into compliance, and finance who was watching our budgets. So every one of these people had a different lens that they were looking through. What that meant was everyone had different priorities and they had different issues that they wanted to cover. Yet we all had to come together to move this project from one place to another with this new initiative. And it's usually included presenting our results to the senior leadership. So we had to get a good outcome. Let me say that again. So we all had to get a good outcome, except I didn't manage any of them. These were peers or even senior leaders on these projects. So this work was always on top. Let me say that again too. And this work was always on top of their already busy schedules. So with no power over anyone, it made all these meetings more complex. I had to use all my skill set and communication to do that. Thankfully, I was a master communicator and I got chosen to lead some really amazing teams. I've been a student of communication for 30 years, so I can relate to my clients when they talk about their struggles. And perhaps you can relate to them too. 
Maybe you need effective communication skills when personal relationships are getting in the way of getting your work done. Maybe you're struggling to help out your... Maybe you're struggling to help your team understand other team members frame a reference so that they can find the most effective way to work with one another. Maybe people on your teams are really challenged with having open and honest conversations about conflict. If you've ever struggled to get your teams to stop talking something to death when decisions need to be made because you're in this, that vicious cycle of where you want to drive your projects forward, but you're stuck because the work just doesn't seem to be getting done. Maybe you need to attract and retain younger team members who want to be part of the process, not just told what to do. If you've ever struggled with having difficult conversations, like getting C-level... If you've ever struggled to have difficult conversations, like getting C-level management to understand what your capacity really looks like, maybe you want new opportunities to get folks to see you in a new way, in a new role, and take a bet on your potential rather than just your proven track record. I want to say that one again, too. Maybe you want new opportunities to get folks to see you in a new role and take a bet on your potential, not just your track record. No, I do say just. Sorry. (laughs) I got confused there. Okay. Maybe you want new opportunities. No, that's not how I wanted to say it. Shoot. Okay. Maybe you want new opportunities to get folks to see you. No, I want to say that. Maybe you want new opportunities to end. Sorry. (laughs) Okay. Here we go. Maybe you want new opportunities and to get folks to see you in a new role and take a bet on your potential, not just your proven track record. These are some of the common struggles that get solved through conversation. And we learn how to do that in the Sister Smart program. So let's jump in first to what I... (laughs) Okay, one more time. Let's first jump into what can hold our conversations back. And then I'll give you the three secrets to great conversations that can solve all these problems and more. So first, let's talk about the five conversation killers. So first, conversation killer number one. This is when we make other people feel threatened. And most likely, you don't even know you're doing it. Most of us are not trying to make people feel threatened. But there are things that we can do that can trigger somebody else's threat response, which you probably have heard of as the fight or flight response. And this can happen in subtle ways in meetings. When it's happening to you, you might feel the flight or fight response coming out as a fight, maybe arguing or getting louder or like digging in your heels. The flight mode comes out as like impatience, a sense of urgency for the immunity over now, or even literally wanting to leave the room. And then there's the freeze response when your mind just goes blank. So a senior leader asks you a question and you feel put on the spot and you can't think of anything, even though this is your area of expertise. Appease is a withdrawal from the conversation, maybe with a little crossed arms, a little leaning back, saying like, sure, whatever you want, just tell me what to do and I'll do it. And then finally, there's a tend and befriend response that's more of a peacemaking effort under stress. So those responses are really obvious when you're out for a hike 
and you see a big bear in the woods and you want to run, but they're more subtle when you're in an office place. So how could we actually be causing these responses in others? So here's a couple of ways that we can do that. So one is by excluding people. This happens when we're not careful to bring everybody into the conversation by making sure that those who need to be in the meeting are in the meeting and that everyone has a voice. We can also trigger a threat response by criticizing or shutting people down. And this can happen inadvertently when we want to move the meeting on. For example, maybe you've been on one topic for too long and you know you have to move on, but you need to be careful about how you do that. So instead, we can work on including and appreciating. And this helps people open up for you because you can focus on finding the things that you can appreciate about them of what they've said. So part of building trust is helping people feel safe and not have that fight or flight response be triggered. Conversation killer number two is falling into what we call the tell, sell, yell trap. And this starts when you're trying to convince somebody or influence people. And then maybe you don't feel like you said, and then maybe you don't feel like what you said was really heard or that it landed right. Or maybe you think that people weren't paying attention to you. And so you might sell it a bit more and then you might get a little stronger about it and say it more forcefully or with more conviction. And then you might feel like you still weren't heard and you might ratchet it up again into a bit of a more of a yelling about it. I think almost everyone can relate to this from some point or another. You get more and more passionate about something or maybe you're getting more frustrated or even angry about it. So what we need to do here instead, instead of ratcheting up these messages in hopes of persuading someone, we need to go back to the drawing board and stop and think about it. When your message isn't landing, you can ask yourself, where can I stop and build trust? How can I build connections with my audience and the team members in the meeting? And how can we co-create a solution so that I can get buy-in here? Maybe it's not about whether your opinion or your idea is good. Maybe what needs to happen in that group is that the group needs to come together and come up with the right one thing that's good for this team on this day versus the thing that you thought through and you you thought about it really carefully and you think it's the right thing to do. When the group comes up with a different solution or even the same solution, the fact that the group came up with it rather than you telling it and selling it on them, is that will create a lot of buy-in for everybody. And having that buy-in can create a lot more speed down the road. So it's worth it to take the time to do this upfront. Our third communication killer is when listeners are not feeling heard. Hang on. Cross straps driving me crazy. <laughs> I'll start from the top on it. Our third communication killer is when listeners are not feeling heard. This happens when people don't feel heard. Sorry, I need to do that again. Communication killer number three is when listeners are not feeling heard. So what happens when people don't feel heard is that it can seem like you don't care about what they think or that you don't value them as a team member or that you think you know everything already yourself. And that's a really bad one because what happens is that particularly when you're in groups with senior leaders, they might think that you're not a good team player or maybe that you don't work well with others and 
that maybe you aren't good leadership material in, in general. And then this is why this can be devastating to your career because when people don't think that you're listening to them, they stop speaking up. And when some people stop speaking up, they'll watch you make missteps and they won't say anything to help you. And if they get resentful enough, they'll actually celebrate you when you fall or they'll even contribute to your fall. So these are things that we really want to stay away from, of course. But importantly, and probably more often, what happens is that people around you will just have great ideas, but they won't say anything. Or they'll see a problem and they won't say anything. And so these are things that we really want to avoid because we don't know when something is missing. We don't know when somebody has not spoken up or when they could have. Kingston! Kingston! Hey! Thank you. Kingston! Hey, hey, hey! Kingston, come here! Come here. Buddy. Kingston. We had to talk about this already. Come here. We had to talk about this already, you know? I thought we weren't doing that today. Quiet now. Mm -hmm. Come on. My train of thought. Yeah. You're going to have to sit in the bedroom. Okay. Lay down. Lay down. The fort is safe. His people, his flock is safe. And that leads us to communication killer number four, which is not understanding trust. So trust is how we're going to get around some of these things that we've been talking about. Unskilled managers waste time on degrading trust Things like using fear as a motivator, like holding back information. Sorry, I got to say that over again. Unskilled managers waste time on trust degrading things like using fear as a motivator and holding information as security, saying yes to everything because they feel obligated, jumping to conclusions without talking to the other party looking for someone to blame or hold accountable for their mistakes, figuring out how to outwit their opponents in other departments, continually using worst-case scenario thinking to keep themselves safe, and they keep up on all the office gossip to stay informed. 
Instead, professionals focus on one thing and that's building trust. And that's it. Building trust is that important. And we can use Angela Ahrens as an example. So Judith Glazer, the creator of conversational intelligence that we better say that differently. So Judith Glazer, the creator of conversational intelligence, which let's see, how do I want to say that? We can use Angela Ahrens as an example. So the creator of conversational intelligence, which is what we work with in the Sister Smart program, the creator, her name was Judith Glazer, and she worked with Angela Ahrens for a long time. I don't feel like I need to go into that much detail. <laughs> Christ. We can use Angela Ahrens as an example. So Judith Glazer, the creator of conversational intelligence, worked with her for a long time. And she knew that Angela Ahrens made trust her number one focus as a leader. And it worked amazingly well for her. So she was the CEO of Burberry for six years. And in that time had massive company growth. She was the highest paid CEO in all of the UK. And then she went to Apple where she was senior VP of retail online stores. And she was the highest paid leader at Apple, making even more than Tim Cook. So that's pretty amazing results for somebody that's focusing on building trust. And I think that her success really shows that this works. So this leads us to our conversation killer number five, which is not rebuilding trust when it's been broken. So you need to repair trust. You need to repair. <laughs> You need to repair trust for people to feel psychologically safe. And it's worth doing this because there are a lot of benefits to people feeling safe in their jobs. First, they become more resilient and they can take failures and bounce back more easily. They'll be able to speak freely when they see potential problems or, um, let me say that again. They will speak freely when they see potential or problems. It will open up their creativity and they'll have better problem solving. They'll also have stronger interpersonal connections and their confidence will be higher. They'll, as well, they'll feel as, and they'll feel empowered to make a difference, which is a key indicator of job satisfaction. So when we create interdependent teams that really work, team members can work through their own problems together. They don't shy away from difficult conversations by letting things go and simmer. They actually welcome healthy conflict and talk about the hard stuff. And they feel invested in the success of their team. So what is the secret to avoiding all of these five conversation killers? In the Sister Smart Leadership Program, we use a framework with these three key results that create drastically better performance for you and your team. So result number one is upregging. <clears throat> so result here, it's obvious. So result number one is upregulating oxytocin in your conversations. There is a hormone you may have heard of called cortisol. Hitting. Hang on. There is a hormone that you may have heard of called cortisol. And that fight or flight mode that we talked about earlier is triggered when this happens, the cortisol gets released in your body. So that repair... Let me do that all over again. 
Result number one is upregulating oxytocin in your conversations. So there's a hort there's a hortisol. <laughs> Result number one is upregulating oxytocin in your conversations. So there's a hormone you may have heard of called cortisol. And when that fight or flight mode that we talked about earlier is triggered, cortisol gets released in your body. That prepares us to fight, flee, freeze or appease or tend and befriend. And it's preparing us for action. And so what that does is it moves blood and energy to the muscles and our heart will start pumping harder and we'll start breathing faster. And then it also shuts it down everything that's not needed. So like our digestive system, and more importantly, it shuts down our prefrontal cortex. And so that's that part of the brain right here um, behind our forehead. And this is where all of our higher functioning happens. So when we're in fight or flight mode, it shuts down that part because we don't need it. We don't need to take time to stop and make decisions and bond with other people and have empathy. This is a mode where we need to just be reacting and acting. So what happens is that we become hypervigilant about protecting ourselves and we don't want to bond or share or and we, we want to, I'm sorry, cut that piece out. So think about that for a moment, hypervigilant about protecting yourself and you don't want to bond or share and you're not using the best part of your brain, the part where all your creativity and good problem solving comes from. We are instead working more from the primitive part of our brain that's just about taking actions. Does that sound like people that you want to have in your meetings? No, right? And it doesn't sound like the person you want to be in your meetings either, does it? So what we need to do is we need to promote a situation where we have oxytocin flowing instead. So this is the counterpart to cortisol. And it's another hormone that's associated with nurturing and bonding. And so this is a hormone that you can feel. And it's that warm, fuzzy feeling that you would experience when you give yourself a hug. It's like relaxing. So you feel like if you're not driving, give yourself a hug right now. And you can feel yourself warm up and become a little softer. And that oxytocin is opening people up. It's reducing anxiety. It's helping us feel more social competence and connection. And what this does is it allows us to use that most powerful part of our brain. Oxytocin is going to help us use this amazing part of our brain, the prefrontal cortex. And what we need to do is really promote this environment where oxytocin can flow. In the Sister Smart program, we have exercises that'll help you to create this environment in any situation. So whether it's a one-on-one -on -one meeting or a complex cross-functional team with senior leadership, you can learn how to keep yourself out of fight or flight mode and identify when others are feeling that as well and what to do about it. So our result number two is what's to, uh, to have what's called level three conversations. So level three conversations are focused on discovering what we don't know. And we call these co-creating conversations. We also call them we-centric conversations. It's not an I-centric conversation. It's about the group. It's about listening to connect with other people and hearing what they need, what their viewpoints are, where they're coming from. And it's a high trust environment. It's a place where healthy conflict can occur. It's a place where oxytocin is flowing. Level three conversations are amazing for engagement and getting projects to run more smoothly. The more we can bring our conversations into a level three place and the better the information that we're going to get from our teams and from ourselves as well. So you might be thinking that this sounds great for meetings that you run, but that you don't have control over a portion of the meetings that you attend. 
Well, there are some meanings that you have no control over, we ha- and we have to accept that. There's also a lot that you can do to encourage level three conversations in any discussion. It all starts with the kinds of questions that you ask. In our program, we call it asking questions for which you have no answers. And these are the questions that open up a conversation and get people thinking about that bigger picture and what shared success would look like. Result number three is creating psychological safety. So that is the number one thing that makes teams perform better and it makes meetings go better because we can do our best work when we're feeling psychologically safe. So what is psychological safety? This is where people can feel that they can speak up and offer their ideas, ask questions without the fear of being um, punished or embarrassed because nobody comes to work wanting to look ignorant or stupid. <laughs> like, and yet so often our environments create this feeling. So this is a topic I get really excited about because it can have so much impact on team performance and it makes a huge difference in the culture of your team. In fact, episode 23 is going to be devoted entirely to this subject. So I don't want to go too much into it here. Instead, I'm going to encourage you to keep tuning in so that you can learn all about the magic of psychological safety. So think about how much conversation affects our work lives for a moment. I mean, it touches everything we do. I like to end every episode with these three shifts that you can make today to improve your conversations. So first, watch for the conversation killers in your next conversation. As a reminder, they were making people feel threatened, falling into the tell-sell-yell trap, not making your listeners feel heard, not understanding trust, and not rebuilding trust when it's been broken. And the second shift that you can make today is to notice when you feel safe in a conversation versus when you don't. Notice in your body the difference between the two. And the third shift that you can make is to notice when you're triggered into fight-or-flight mode in a conversation. So notice how that feels in your body And also notice which modality you go to most often. Do you go to appease or fight or tend to befriend? Which one do you go to? So let me know which shift you'll start with. If you're watching this on YouTube, leave us a comment and let us know which one you're going to try first. As I mentioned, we learn conversational intelligence in the fourth module of our Sister Smart Leadership program. And if you'd like to hear more about the Sisters in Leadership process and how it might work for you, you can download my private podcast on the seven-step passport to promotion at the sistersmart.com website. The link is in the show notes here. And if you want to dive deeper into women's leadership and how to move up in your career, subscribe either on YouTube or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. I'm on a mission to help more women get into leadership and stay there. And if that's aligned with you, I'd love to have you be part of this community and tune into more episodes on Sister Smart Leadership that will support you in becoming the leader that you want to be.